Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Mark Explains podcast. I am your host, Mark. And today we got such a really unique episode for you today. We are talking about the hidden crisis that exists very prevalently in our current world today. We are talking about water and uh, the global water crisis. Now, many of you might stop for a second and say, like, water crisis? Really? Uh, The earth is some 70% water. How can there possibly be a crisis with water? Like I turn on my tap in my house or virtually anywhere and there's, there's clean water. How, so how can there be a crisis if no one is talking about it? Well, uh, in the next uh, hour or so, we're going to kind of dive into exactly how clean and fresh water plays into our daily lives. And along the way, we got uh, some really cool guests on today's episode. Uh, we get to we get the opportunity to talk with Kyle Whitcroft, who is the special events manager at Water Mission in South Carolina. Uh, they're, they're doing some really cool work there. You definitely have to check them out. And we also get to talk to a good friend of mine, Jay Hawking, who is the community director for Water for Good in Warsaw. Indiana. Um, and uh, you, the stuff that these organizations are doing are just so incredible, so great. And also a good friend of mine uh, uh, and a friend of the show, Tony Inskeep drops by for some quick conversation. And we will also hear from Scott Harrison of Charity Water during an interview where he talks about some experiences he's had uh, and what has propelled him into a life of giving uh, directly related to water. Uh, so quite the dense show today, but we will have all the information of all these individuals and how to get a hold of them in the show notes. And uh, any if you'd like to donate or just get involved, um, all of the information will be there. So make sure to check that out. And also, if you have any, make sure to head on over to iTunes or Podbean and subscribe to these podcasts. And you can also find us on iHeartRadio and Spotify. And uh, make sure to go over to Instagram Instagram and follow us, Mark.explains, and also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Mark Explains Podcast. All right, that's it. Thanks for listening today, guys. I know this is going to be a lot of great information and it'll be really eye-opening. So uh, just sit back and really enjoy this episode. About a year and a half ago, uh, I was really in a place where I needed to reconnect with um, with the mission on a personal level. This is Scott Harrison, founder of Charity Water. Ethiopia, I'd mentioned, you know, I've been there so many times, 20, 27 times now. And a few trips back, I was in this $3 a night hotel room. And the hotel owner, you know, walks out of the kitchen, recognizes our group and says, um, you guys are doing great work here in the region. Let me tell you a story. And he sits down and says, I come from a rural village. And in my village, years ago when I was growing up, there was this woman that used to walk eight hours every day with a clay pot, a heavy clay pot on her back, and she would walk to dirty water. And he said one day, at the end of her journey, she comes back into our village, and before she reaches her house, she slips and she falls. And her clay pot breaks, and all the water spills out into the ground. And he said, she didn't go back and get more water. She hung herself from a tree in my village. And he kind of let that sit with our group. <laughs> and then he walked back into the kitchen. I remember looking at uh, you know, our friends at the time saying, you know, there's no way that story can be true. You know, tell the Westerners a shocking story. And it just nagged at me. And I sent our partners to his village. And they verified that this woman, Letikiros Hailu, had lived there and had indeed committed suicide. And I asked my wife for a pass and said, you know, I need to go and live in this village. I need to walk in her footsteps. 
I need to, I need to see the tree. Uh, it was not easy to get to. It was a, a five-hour drive from the regional town in the north, and then I had to hike nine hours uh, over the mountains, uh, having rented a camel and a donkey to, to put water and, and my solar backpack and stuff on. And I just spent a week in this village, kind of just living it. And, you know, it's so hard, guys, getting people here to imagine what it's like. But, you know, when you walk in the footsteps of, of, of these women as they are every single day, you know, down to a swamp that's being shared with animals, and, and you watch kids drink fecally contaminated water, it just, it, uh, it outrages you, it, it, it makes you want to act for one person or one family or one village, and then it becomes the second village and the fifth village and the tenth. And uh, I, I didn't know this until I lived there, but she was 13 at the time of her death. She was a little girl. And I had spent time with her best friend who had walked with her that day, who was, by the way, still walking for dirty water uh, when I had gone there. And, you know, I, I asked uh, her friend, her name was Yeshereg. I said, why do, you think, why do you think your friend didn't go back? You know, why not just get water the next day? Surely accidents happen. And she said, it would have been the shame that there would have been too much because she knew that she broke this valuable asset of the family, the clay pot, and that her family would go, out, go without water for dinner, and that her mom was waiting for that water that she had walked all day for to cook dinner, and she had let her family down because of her carelessness and her misstep, and that was too much to face them. And, you know, I, I have this photograph of, of this tree, this frail tree, um, and the thought of a 13-year-old taking the rope from the pot and climbing up the tree and jumping, um, which, which fired me up, guys. I mean, you know, I came back and, and I, I still go back there as the, reason, as the reason why. There was a woman in, in northern Uganda that actually got clean water. And our, our team was visiting her village and said, you know, Helen, how is your life actually different? Now that you have, a, you have a well, it works, it's pumping great water. How's your life different? And Helen began to tell the story of two jerry cans. And she said, you know, before I used to have to walk a far distance. She was actually walking to another well, but there was uh, a long wait as it was overburdened. And she said, I could only take 10 gallons, so about two toilet flushes, uh, of water every day for her husband and two kids. And she said, I always put my family first, but there was never enough water. And every day I would make choices. Do I cook? Do I clean? Do I wash my husband's clothes? Do I let him wash his body? Do I keep my kids clean? Do I wash their school uniforms? And she said, as as the, the woman of the house, I never use the water for myself. And she said, the main reason my life is different now is that I feel beautiful. And... (laughs) our team didn't really get it and they're like Helen of course you're beautiful you're a beautiful woman she said no you don't understand I feel beautiful because I have enough water for my face and my body and my clothes and you know we don't think of water that way you know something so many of us take for granted simply because of of the privilege we were born into (laughs) being able to take Helen from you know 10 gallons to 20 or 30 gallons still a fraction of what we would use every day 
was able to restore dignity, was able to make her feel beautiful, a woman who had sacrificed and put her family first. So I think, you know, it's the... It's the stuff behind the stuff that really keeps us going. You know, we hold on to to 13-year-old girls who, you know, should should never be living in shame or desperation. And we hold on to these stories of women uh, who, who feel beautiful, who always should have, through this very powerful thing called water. In 1993, the United Nations General Assembly designated March 22nd as the first World Water Day. And this is with good reason, because without water, we would be nothing, just dust. Water is one of the most common substances on Earth, and one of the most vital. It is a tremendously valuable resource, yet one we squander away and pollute prodigiously. Water is deceptive. For a while, it pours freely from the heavens and seems to flow endlessly in rivers and But it is a finite resource. We only have what we have. And although there is roughly 332 million cubic miles of water on Earth, only one one one-hundredth of one percent of the world's water is fresh water and readily available for human use. We really need to learn how to show some respect. So here are some interesting facts about the water found here on planet Earth. The average human body is made of roughly 50 to 65% water. Water covers nearly 70.9% of the planet's surface. 97% of the water found on the surface of the Earth is salt water. The water found in the Earth's lakes and rivers and streams and ponds and swamps, etc., that only counts for 0.3% of the world's fresh water, the water that we drink. The rest of the water is trapped in glaciers or is in the ground, in aquifers. There is more water in our atmosphere than found in all of the rivers on Earth combined. And if all of that water vapor on our planet's atmosphere fell all at once as liquid water and spread out evenly, it would only cover the globe with about an inch of water. More than one quarter of all bottled water that you drink here in the U.S. comes from a municipal supply, which is the same place that your tap water comes from. Approximately 400 billion gallons of water is used in the United States every single day. In a year, the average American resident uses over 100,000 gallons of water. 748 million people in the world do not have access to clean water today. And some 2.5 billion people do not have access to sanitation. And even more so, Nearly 1.8 billion people worldwide drink water that is contaminated with feces. The World Health Organization recommends two gallons per person daily to meet the requirements of most people under most conditions, and around five gallons per day to cover basic hygienic and food hygienic needs. On average, an American resident uses about 100 gallons of water every single day. It takes 2.6 gallons of water to make a sheet of paper. 
It takes 924 gallons of water to produce 2.2 pounds of rice. It takes 2,641 gallons of water to make a pair of jeans. It takes 3,962 gallons of water to produce 2.2 pounds of beef. It takes 39,090 gallons of water to manufacture a new car. In developing nations, women and girls are primarily responsible for collecting water, and on average, nearly 25% of their day is spent on this task every single day. Collectively, South African women and children walk a daily distance equivalent to 16 trips to the moon and back just to fetch dirty water. So my name is Kyle Whitcroft. I'm the Special Events Manager at Water Mission. It's a Christian engineering organization based in Charleston, South Carolina, and we provide safe water to communities around the world. And I just get the opportunity to raise money to help the work that we do in those countries that we serve. Oh, that's real cool. Uh, how, how long ago was uh, the Water Mission organization established? Yeah, so Water Mission was born out of a disaster in 1998. Hurricane Mitch hit Honduras. And our founders were, they were just engineers and they owned an environmental engineering organization. And they had some friends who were doing some, doing some missions work in Honduras. And so they wrote them a letter or they reached out to them and said, Hey, how can we help? Who can we sign a check to? And they responded, donations aren't really going to help us right now. What we really need is safe water. People are dying from waterborne illnesses. Hmm. So they hung up the phone and they said, we're engineers and we should be able to solve this problem. So they went to the market to see what existed for um, community sized projects. And really all they found were things like the smaller stuff, the backpack sized things or life straws, stuff like that, um, or very large, very demanding systems required a lot of power, a lot of um, parts and pieces and labor. And so they said, you know what, none of these are really going to work in the situation that we're working in. And so they put their heads together and they built a water filtration system, something you could just take thousands of gallons of water per day and make them safe. And so hmm. they built six of those systems and partnered with, uh, we're here in Charleston, South Carolina, the, the Air Force is here, um, and they run um, routes to South America all the time. And so we loaded six of our systems onto a C-17 and about 19 crew members, and they went down to Honduras to assess the problem and said, okay, we can, we can make this water safe. And so while they were there, they realized this isn't just something that exists in disasters. This is something that exists year round. And so they came back compelled by their faith to love their neighbors like they love themselves. Mm -hmm. They, uh, they sold their business and started water mission. Wow. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's quite the endeavor. Yeah. It's, it's huge. And so it's, you know, the 1998 we're, we're pushing over 20 years ago now. Um, it's crazy to see just how far, um, they've come and just how they've stayed faithful to the cause. And people have really rallied behind that and supported it in, in ways that, um, we would ever imagine. Yeah, so this this work started in Honduras um, with some some water filtration systems there. Uh, since then, where has it gone, and how far is the work spreading from Water Mission? Sure, that's a good question. Um, I almost want to say where hasn't it gone. I don't know. <laughs> I'm I'm bad with geography, so I can't tell you even how many countries there are in the world. But I know that. Water Mission has provided safe water to people in over 56 different countries and counting. Wow. And so, um, so when you look at a map and you look at all the, the dots that represent uh, the countries that we've worked in, we, we've really been all over the globe. And um, water has allowed us to get into 
scenarios into countries that um, other aid organizations can't. And so one of the flags that hangs in our, our warehouse, which is just uh, it's really cool because we have all of our flags of the countries that we've served um, in chronological order. So it kind of tells our story. But North Korea flag hangs up there. And wow. when you think about how how on earth does that happen? And, and so imagine when you spill um, water onto a laptop. Water gets into every part that you couldn't get into with a screwdriver or something else. Water, I think, penetrates into the, the cracks in the corners of every, mm, every part yeah. of the globe. And through some of our partners who are doing a disaster response in North Korea, we were able to deploy, deploy systems through them. And so wow. um, that's not to say those are still operating and running. If properly maintained, they would be. Um, so we don't have access to um, how those systems are working. But it's probably the craziest country that we could talk about. But we've been in so many um, and we've, we've gotten through – um, customs and we've gotten through uh, religious differences and, and everybody knows the importance of safe water. And when they find out that we can provide that, uh, doors are open for us and we're able to get in and, and do our work. Well, that's really, man, uh, North Korea, that's crazy. Um, well, yeah. You know, I, I click on your on the website, I click on the watermission.org website, and the very first thing I see up front, it says water crisis. And you yeah. click on this water crisis, and it takes you to a page where it says global water crisis. Like, how important is this work you're doing? Because me as an American, like, we don't face the water crisis that is existing on this planet as a whole, because we're kind of, we're kind of sheltered we're, we're kind of put into this special closet where everything works and you turn on your faucet and you go into a gas station. It doesn't matter. There is water. Right. So what is this global water crisis that is on this page? Yeah. Yeah. So that's why we, that's part of why we exist is just to raise awareness for the problem. I think once people understand that there is a crisis, they want to take action and be a part of the response. Um, so we, we do take it for granted. The United States, uh, a doctor friend just told me this the other day that in the 1940s, the leading cause of death in the United States was diarrheal illnesses. Hmm. And that's caused from um, inadequate sanitation, uh, which which pollutes your water. And so dirty water, waterborne illnesses um, was the leading cause of death in the United States in the 1940s. And so um, if you could look at us as a country and see how far we've come, how far uh, – we've transformed as a country, we could all say, yeah, safe water has been a foundation, um, an elevated foundation has taken us above what a lot of other countries and communities face every single day, these waterborne illnesses. And so if you look around the world, if you look at hospital beds that um, have patients in them, 50% of those hospital beds have somebody who's suffering from a waterborne illness. Wow. Um, and then if you take that and you just multiply those people who actually lose their lives, I think it's one every 35 seconds. One person under the age of five uh, dies from a water-related illness every 35 seconds. Wow. And so even even just our conversation, if you put that in the math, that's about 2,400 people a day. And we don't hear about that on Twitter. We don't see it on the news. No, uh, we don't hear just, anything. No. Right. You know, and so um, – and it's not just the – it's just – death is a big thing, obviously. Uh, but the quality of life is, is something to talk about as well. And so when we think about waterborne illnesses, which is diarrhea and vomiting, um, which lead to extreme dehydration, um, it's, it's a cyclical problem. If you go to a water source and you say, I'm going to drink this water because I need to be hydrated. Yeah. And that has um, – it has it's contaminated water and there's bacteria and other things in it. Uh, you can track, say, maybe cholera. Cholera can take your life in a day if you're not, um, if you're not treating it properly. And so uh, if you can track cholera – you have diarrhea, you have vomiting, um, and then you have to go back to the water source where you got the water to begin with to rehydrate yourself. But what's in that water was still in that water, um, and it can 
increase, increasingly um, jeopardize your life. And so if, if it isn't dying from waterborne illnesses, it's spending a lot of time and money on uh, trips to the hospital, buying hmm. medicine. Yeah. Um, and really the number one treatment for all those diarrheal borne illnesses is safe water. It's hmm. not it's not some sort of prescription drug or something that we think that we can maybe send in bottles. Really what they need is safe water. Hmm. Well, it says here that uh, 2.1 billion people around the world lack access to safe water. And to kind of put that into perspective, that's seven times the population of the U.S. currently. So in mm-hmm. the U.S., like we have clean water. So to think that seven times the amount of people that are in my country don't have access to clean water around the world, it's no, it's no secret. It's no wonder why there's so much illness in in response to that exact thing so what what so what exactly did like i if if i were to you know if i'm going to give money to water mission like how exactly does that work and like how are you guys providing the clean water yeah yeah so um as we talk about the water crisis we realize it's a very complex problem um every community every culture is different um seasons can change the the access that people have to water and so when we walk into a complex problem we know that all of our solutions are going to be customized and complex solutions um, but what we would say uh, i would say what ties kind of um, the elements that that make every project the same are uh, one is we look for what we call a safe water committee when we go into a community we want to from the very beginning enable them and equip them to manage these projects on their own and to create independence and not make them rely on um, water mission or our donors or anyone else, we want to give them the tools and resources that they can rely on themselves. And so we go in and we, we identify a safe water committee and that's volunteers within the community. And, and it might be um, people who are already in leadership positions or in influential positions in that community to say, we're going to take the responsibility of figuring out where to put these systems, how how much to charge for this water, how to manage this um, this gift of safe water that we get. Once we identify a safe water committee, we have to look for funding. Uh, we don't start any projects without uh, 100% funding. And we've mm. learned that um, maybe maybe in our early years we did that. I don't know. But I know that a lot of organizations start with good intentions and can't follow through yeah. uh, once once project funding is lost. And so um, we, we, we really start this process once we have um, a sure bet that we're going to have that that funding in place. So once 100% of the funding is in place, and when we start the actual implementation of the project, and that's um, identifying the water source and identifying um, the points in the in the communities where we're going to put tap, what we call them tap stands, uh, where water is accessible. Um, in a community that doesn't have safe water, the average distance that women and children walk every single day is three and a half miles to collect that water. That's wow. dirty water. It's going to make them sick. That's hours of their day spent walking for water. Um, when we go into a community, we kind of uh, hold to the same standards that the World Health Organization has in place. And, and that means that we might be putting tap stands that are about a football field away from them as compared to those three miles wow. away. Um, when we put those tap stands in, we're able to, um, again, put them in places that are convenient to the community, um, as well as to if there are um, orphanages or schools or hospitals or anything like that, we're able to, to take that into consideration as well. The community walks alongside us the whole time uh, while we're teaching them the importance of safe water. We do what we call water sanitation hygiene training, which is an acronym is called WASH. Um, so water, sanitation, and hygiene that teaches them um, that safe water matters and more more than just drinking it. You want to wash your clothes with it. You want to wash your hands. You want to cook with it. Um, so we teach them um, the importance of safe water 
in all aspects of life. And then we teach them microeconomics and how do you run this micro municipal in your community uh, to pro provide an income to pay tap stand operators and people who are delivering water, uh, but also to prepare for future expenses. And so we teach them mm. um, how to open a bank account and how to prepare. We, we have pretty – Pretty complex uh, spreadsheets where you can plug in all the numbers, how many households are in a community, how many people live in those houses, how many institutions are there. Um, and when you plug all that in, we can get a, a, a pretty good se uh, general consensus of where we want to go, um, uh, where that community should want to go. And then we can work with them to establish pricing, just like we pay for water here in the United States. Um, they're going to charge for their water, but oftentimes um, – well, in all of our scenarios, that water is going to be way cheaper than they would ever pay from um, going into town and buying water somewhere else. Um, and so we make that water safe and attainable. Um, and uh, I think one of the, the rules we have in place that it cannot exceed 3% of a daily income. And so we work with that community to establish is it – is the community member going to pay a price per unit or are they going to pay um, a monthly tax or tariff just to have access mm. to safe water? But to prepare them as a community to um, save money, prepare for future, future expenses, and then one day uh, maybe graduate from water mission equipment to something um, different. And so we really think that water is the first step in transformation in a community. We have a lot of um, health impact studies or we, we – we start to see economic trends that go up in the communities that we serve and um, and quality of life changes. People can be in school, things like that. So water is going to provide more than just water. It's going to provide a lot of the other opportunities. Now, you being the special events manager at Water Mission, you guys do a lot of outreach and events. And you guys actually have an event coming up here just over a week. It is called Walk for Water. It is being hosted in Charleston, South Carolina. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that and how the Walk for Water can help uh, the greater mission of Water Mission? Sure. Good question. So uh, the Walk for Water is an advocacy and fundraising event um, that started 13 years ago. And it was just a group of volunteers that said, hey, we want to make a difference in Charleston. We're going to carry some buckets around downtown and see if people ask us questions. We can start conversation just by carrying buckets. Um, it was so well received by our volunteers and supporters that we, we decided to make it an ongoing annual event. Um, and so fast forward now, 2019 is our, thir our 13th annual Walk for Water, wow. and we're anticipating over 5,000 people at this year's wow. event. Yeah, so it's our annual, um, it's our only event that Water Mission hosts. It's, it's kind of a flagship event that leads all other events that happen around the country that are hosted by different organizations and partners and churches and rotary clubs. Uh, there's, there's a lot more Walk for Waters that happen around the country, but the Charleston Walk kind of takes the lead and takes the charge on that um, as a flagship event. And so 5,000 people come out to this event. Um, and if you've ever been a part of an outdoor active event, they're oftentimes related to fundraising or a cause. Um, and you, so you might go uh, run a 5K for breast cancer or uh, do a fun run, mud run, something like that uh, for Children's Hospital. But I've never seen an event that so closely aligns to the actual cause the organization is raising money for. Mm. So as I mentioned earlier, the average distance that women and children walk is three and a half miles to, to collect dirty water. So when all 5,000 participants show up in the park this year we are, and every year, we give them a bucket. And we carry that bucket on a three-mile journey. Halfway through, we fill that bucket up with dirty water. And we carry it back where we came wow. from. So we get to live a day in a life. We get to think about what would it be like to have to walk this far as people are walking they get to read these fact signs. A lot of the facts that you saw on our website um, are put onto signs that you can read as you walk. And so it's 
Um, it's immersive in that we're actually doing this walk just like women and children are doing around the world. Uh, it's educational that we get to learn some statistics and facts um, about the global water crisis and how it impacts different countries and communities. And uh, we get to carry that water and bring it back. We pour it into a swimming pool and then we have one of our water system or water treatment systems there filtering that water on the spot. And so you can see your dirty water. Wow. That's Uh, really cool. Yeah. And so it's just this really cool event that people can do. And when they walk away, they, they say, wow, because of my participation, because I, I was active in this event or I was fundraising for this event. Um, I walked this morning. So one day somebody on the other side of the globe, somebody I'll never meet doesn't have to do that walk Mm. any longer. And so, uh, what a cool way to get, engage people. It's a, it's an exciting season for us. And as I said, that event continues to grow and, um, it gets people, um, introduced to water mission and, and we, we give them the opportunities to continue to stay partnered with us. So if there, if, if any of these listeners are within a driving distance of Charleston, they can head there on the 30th of March and be involved in the walk for water. But if they're not close enough um, yep. There's a button here that says host a walk. And do you want to walk us uh, through real quick about uh, how you could possibly host a walk if this is something you want to do, but you're just too far away? Sure, sure. So first, I will invite any of your listeners, uh, I would say in the Southeast region or with uh, some frequent flyer miles that might want to make the trip to beautiful <laughs> Charleston, South Carolina. Um, that would be a great way to get involved. But walks do happen all around the country, and you can find those on our website, Charleston, or I'm sorry, watermission.org. But you can also, um, on that same website, you can find, like you said, um, information on what it would be like to host a walk in your community. And so uh, it's been pretty awesome to see how many people come come through our site and see the Walk for Water and say, we want to bring that to our hometown. We want to bring that to our church. Uh, our Rotary group wants to get involved, or um, this this group of people is just so passionate about the global water crisis that we want to plan an event. So we've seen colleges and organizations, um, a lot of our strategic partners. These are companies that um, that make donations to us throughout the year that uh, a lot of our parts and pieces are bought from or donated from. They'll host it for their employees and families and friends. Um, and then we just have community, community events that happen around the globe. And so if someone's listening right now and says, wow, that – that event does sound like a lot of fun. Um, we have someone on staff that would feel that request. And essentially what we'll start to do is ask the questions, um, where's your community? What, what, um, what contacts do you have within your community? Can you pull together a safe or a, a walk for water committee, a planning group that has connections and influence within your, in your community to make that happen. And so, um, if we can check off all those boxes, we would say you're a prime candidate. And so, um, after that, we've got all the tools and resources and we provide some coaching to walk you through the process of planning your own event. Um, I would, I would say it's a great way to get involved, but for some groups you would, you, you may conclude that it's a, it's very labor intensive and because it is, you have to apply for, um, event permits. You have to shut down city streets. You have to find your water source. Sometimes that can be a little overwhelming. Um, and I would just encourage anybody listening that there are other ways uh, to raise money for for a water mission, but that is, is certainly one of the the coolest ways that we know of. That's awesome. So, uh, why don't you tell us um, how to get a hold of you? Um, all about uh, all the contact and how to donate money for water mission and all of those details. 
Sure, sure. So um, anybody can learn more about Water Mission at watermission.org. On that website, you can find uh, pretty prominently displayed, you'll find a donate button. If you're looking to uh, support us financially, if you're looking to get involved, there's a there is a tab there for that. We can walk you everything through fundraising to planning your own walk for water to volunteering if you're nearby. Um, all those opportunities are under the Get Involved tab. And um, yeah, from there, there's also just a contact page. And so if you have general questions about Water Mission or what we do, um, you can find that all there. Just click around the website. You're going to find a lot of information. Uh, you can find everything from our financial reports all the way to um, cool videos that, that would uh, educate and, and raise your awareness for what's happening in the global water crisis. Awesome. And I will have all of those details in the show notes. Awesome. Thanks, Kyle. You, you, it was so great to have you on, man. Thanks so much for the information and for uh, all the great work that you're doing. Yeah, it's a pleasure to hang out with you and talk about what we're doing. By the year 2040, there will not be enough water in the world to quench the thirst of the world population and keep the current energy and power solutions going if we continue doing what we are doing today. This is what it is all about right here. Because a lot of people think that, like, Tony, I'm not sure if you've heard, but, like, we probably are going to see another world war. Like, Oh, yeah. Like, realistically, it's going to happen. We are inevitable because we are human beings. History repeats itself. There, mm -hmm. there has been world wars multiple times in the past, ones that are not accounted for in history. Um, and even, you know, like, as far as the world is concerned, there's been two large world wars um, but we are we are going to see a a world war on a different on a different level on a different category because we are connected in ways that we've never been before in the past, and a lot of people think it's going to be over oil. Like, of course we would fight over oil because that's that's what we you know that's what we know and that's that's like the hot commodity right now is oil. But realistically. Mm -hmm us as humans, if we don't change our path and realize that we are using the water in on this planet faster than we can ever imagine, the next world war will be over water and salt. And that yeah. is in our lifetime, in the next 15 years or less. It's crazy to me. That's literally crazy to me, especially because I feel like... I <clears throat> I could go on a whole tangent about this, but like we're fighting over walls right now. We are. And there's not going to be anything left if we don't start paying attention to these sort of things. Like there'll be nothing on either side of the wall. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's funny. <laughs> I, I, I was hearing, um, I was hearing them talk about what it would cost to completely eradicate all of human suffering when it comes to water and sanitation on this planet to bring every human on this planet, clean water mm -hmm. and sanitation would cost about $10 billion. Ten. $10 billion. Do you know how much an aircraft carrier cost? Do you have any you idea know. what our defense budget was last year? It was, it was $570 billion. What? I, this is the thing that gets me fired up. What, what yeah. is more important than food in water. Let's not even talk about shelter. What on this planet is more important than food and water? Like, how can we call ourselves the best nation on this, 
on this planet? How can we call ourselves the best nation no. when, when we have the resources to help the people around this world, but it becomes so political Yeah, that we are not like we're not okay with helping our neighbor with solving like flint flint still does not have clean water why why does flint not have clean water this is ridiculous yeah absolutely absolutely like what what is more important i mean i want to know i want someone to tell me how a defense budget is more important than human suffering on the most basic level food and water like yep. someone please explain this to me someone <laughs> me, please me too <laughs> because me this too. is like th- this is something at the core of who i am why are we not taking care of each other as humans like this can be fixed it should be fixed absolutely absolutely it's like uh we have all these privileges in our world that I feel like we're so out of touch, whether that be through media or just experience or interaction with other human beings that like, it doesn't even put a blip on our radar because we're so distracted by fighting for these things that like are really just privileges that most of the world doesn't even get to have. Like, like most of the world doesn't have most of what we have. No. And we think that we're entitled to have more. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And we also think that we need to keep these, like, we need to keep, you know, the argument is we need to, you know, make sure that we are protected and we are safe first. You know, like, we need to make sure our country is safe. Yeah, but how many more nukes do we need to make? I mean, we have 19 aircraft carriers. 19. Let's sell one. How about let's just sell (laughs) one aircraft carrier. We'll be okay. 18 is okay. Like, that's all right. And we could yeah. solve the water crisis in the world, the, in, the impending one, the acute water crisis that, 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 is, that, is, that we are facing right now as the human species, not, not me and you. Like, we're not dealing with a water crisis here in America yet. That's coming. But there are people right now that they, they could have access to clean food and water right, right now. Like we make enough food every day on this planet to feed six times the amount of people on this planet. Yet there's people dying of starvation and sanitation and water. Why? Because we don't want to get it there because it's too expensive or there's not a month. There's not a buck to be made and it's political. Like how dare Americans help other people? Like how dare us? Yeah. I just heard, I was listening actually funny enough. I was listening to a podcast, um, that had Scott Harrison from Charity Water the other mm-hmm. day. Um, Spectacular. He, yes, absolutely. Love Scott Harrison. He, yes. <laughs> and he was referencing like just one story of a, a woman who lo- had lost eight of her children hmm. because of dirty water. Man. Eight children. Literally. Eight children. And we're going back and forth, making catty comments on Facebook about how we need a wall because the immigrants are coming over and they're going to make our children unsafe while other people's children are dying off in masses. Man. Because they don't have clean water. Man. Isn't that a luxury that we get to argue on Facebook about a wall while people's children and families are dying off around the world? We need to restructure the priorities. 
of what we consider important, of what we consider suffering, of what we consider faith. Yeah. And love. Yeah. Like, how am I supposed to call myself any kind of a Christian if I care more about my safety than I do about the life of another human? And I'm not just talking about like, oh, the safety of me. No, like these fears are programmed into us at a political and a media level that we are, these are irrational, irrational fears that I, I need to build borders around my house and around my country and around my, my heart and around my life because if I don't, then someone's gonna get in and hurt me. And in the meantime, there's people that can't even get clean water and they walk miles and miles just for the dirty water that they have. And then if they can't get that water, but for for a, a woman to feel so much shame because she can't bring water to her family the one thing that she that like that was her value that was her worth and there's so much shame around that like that that's what shame is like we think we live in a shame culture we we have no idea to where you to where this this woman this 13 year old girl felt like she needed to kill herself because there was no escaping that shame there was no escaping that that her one her one goal in life to bring water to her family, dirty water to her family had now been ruined because she tripped and she needed to end her life. We need to shift our mindsets on what suffering is, on what shame is, on what surviving is and what loving is because this is not the way we need to do things. We need to open our eyes and we need to begin to love selflessly. We need to go to the places that are uncomfortable and we need to give what we don't feel like we can because this this life that we're living when my when my time limit goes off on Instagram saying that I've spent you know my 15 minutes on Instagram for the day and I get mad and I feel like I'm suffering that's that's not suffering <laughs> yeah <laughs> because I spent my 15 <laughs> minutes on my touchscreen portable <laughs> phone on a platform that is designed to manipulate my brain that's not suffering yeah waking up knowing you have a six hour walk to bring 10 gallons back to your family and not knowing where this 10 gallons are going to go is it going to be for cooking or food or that's that's suffering and it's the suffering at the deepest level because we could do something about it but we don't yep I was just going to say that like, okay, for people who like say, like would claim the name of Jesus and say that they believe that like in creation and all of that stuff. I'm like, for me, I'm finding this kind of like, I have this paradox in my mind of like, how can people believe there's so many things that people harp on as being like, this is a biblical concept or this is a thing that's important. But like, also if that's what we're going to do, like we were here and then like, to to take care of the earth like that was the first thing is that we were given this thing as a gift and like it's just baffling to me and it kind of breaks my heart because i was just like 
like I said, and honestly, the last podcast, I was on like the, the gaslighting thing of like, yeah. we're paying attention to the, like, we're paying attention to the wrong things. Like, I don't mean to like harp on the wall, you know, I don't want to get stuck on that, but it's just like, we're pointing all our attention at these things. Meanwhile, over half the world is like, we're not taking care of this thing. We're not taking care of the people on it or this gift. And like, I don't know. I, I think that for me, I've been thinking a lot recently about like the things that I am like feel inconvenienced by or like, oh man, I, I wonder where I'm going to move or like, I wonder. And like, just thinking about the fact, like exactly what you said, there's a girl somewhere in the world who killed herself because she didn't have access to clean water. Hmm. Like, it just is a complete shift in like, what is important right now? Like, it's a huge question I'm asking myself, what is really important right now? Like, what do I want to give my life to, my voice to? Because this is the sort of stuff that we have to not just start talking about, but doing something about. Yes. All right. So today with us, we have uh, Jay Hawking, uh, who is a part of the Water for Good uh, organization uh, based out of Warsaw, Indiana. Uh, It's good to have you on, Jay. Thanks for coming. Thanks so much. They're really happy to be here uh, and uh, uh, excited to be able to share a little bit about what Water for Good's been doing. Awesome. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, Water for Good, like how long ago it was established and by who? And uh, um, why don't we just start there? Yeah. uh, Water for Good started back in 2004 by my father, who's the founder, uh, and uh, he's the CEO for a long time, up until uh, like four or five years ago. So he had uh, a lot to do with getting it started and um, uh, still involved in the organization uh, as the founder and does a lot of fundraising and still makes trips over to Central Africa. And uh, the, my, my dad's goal in starting it was to kind of help uh, Central Africans tackle some uh, issues they were facing on their own related to uh, poverty, health, uh, lack of clean water, uh, health sanitation, stuff like that. Um, and uh, it's really grown since then. Um, I started in uh, 2013 full-time as uh, the uh, director of communications, but I have since moved on to a different role. Uh, as of a year and a half ago, I'm now the country director, so being more involved in operations. Um, so so Jay, how many people, you know, how many people does this organization touch? I mean, is, you know, what's the reach of water for good? Um, we work in, uh, just one country, the central African Republic, which has a population of about 5 million people. And, uh, the area that we're covering is the Western, like third of the country. And, um, so there's, uh, it's difficult to calculate exactly how many people were, uh, we're providing services to uh, well over a million, um, wow. but depending on how you how you qualify uh, reaching those people, whether it's you know people who are getting water every day from our pumps, or you know maybe just on the, the weekends when they're home from the fields, uh, kind of depends on how you calculate it. But uh, Water for Goods uh, drilled somewhere around a thousand wells, and we're currently maintaining uh, uh, manual water pumps for around eighteen hundred communities. Um, so. Yeah, probably, you know, well over a million people are drinking water from those from those water pumps wow. right now. That's incredible. 
Uh, now, when you go over to the central, uh, when you go over to the CAR, and let's say you're tasked with uh, providing a new well, do you uh, recruit a local NGO or a local company in order to do that work, or are you guys doing the work uh, yourself um, at Water for Good? Uh, yeah, we don't we don't recruit uh, other NGOs. We do recruit uh, local um, other businesses, other for-profit businesses, to do some of the work for us. Uh, in the past, we've done almost all of it ourselves, um, including the drilling. And uh, but our our overall goal for Water for Good is to not just have nonprofits doing the work, but to help uh, local for-profit businesses get started. So it's a long, a really long uh, process to do that. Uh, but we kind of see that the the, the maintenance of these hand pumps that we're putting in needs to be sustainable, which means it can't just be relying on donations forever. So we're hoping to set up uh, local Central Africans with businesses to be able to maintain the pumps. Mm. Same thing with the water well drilling. Uh, you know, we'd rather it not just be nonprofits doing the drilling. So our goal is to help uh, set up locals uh, with drilling operations. So we've already started moving that direction. Um, our drill rigs, which were initially all run and managed by Water for Good, uh, we started the process uh, so two two and a half years ago. Uh, we set up our lead driller with a for-profit business, and he now runs the drill rigs. They're, they're still owned by us, but he's operating them. He ha- has his own staff that he uh, he runs to to do all the well drilling. So that's been a, a first step. It's got a lot of challenges, uh, but we knew it's going to be a long process. So that's kind of the, the direction we're going in. I would imagine that's like really critical in in what Water for Good does is like training local people to handle and manage what happens after you leave or after, you know, after your organization kind of, kind of has to pull out at a certain point, if no one knows how to maintain and, and fix and uh, take care of these wells, that that's probably a bigger issue than having drilled the well itself. Exactly. Yeah. Um, for, and that's a really big deal for water for good. We're not just about uh, drilling wells and leaving, because uh, that's been people have been doing that since you know the 70s in the Central African Republic, and there's a uh, a whole lot of failed wells um, that you know people spend fifteen twenty thousand dollars putting a well in, mm-hmm. and then two years later it's broken. Uh, so our, our the main thing we do is uh, trying to provide long lasting solutions that'll keep those pumps going because it's not that expensive to do that uh, in the grand scheme of things. You know you you spend uh, you know. 100 to 400, 500 bucks a year, and you can keep a $15,000 investment going. So uh, our goal is really long-term to set up some systems where even without international uh, support coming, these guys can continue to keep these wells working. Now, I know that there are quite a few wells, uh, obviously in the CAR as well as all over Africa. Uh, Now, if you guys go in and there is an established well there, but let's say it doesn't, uh, it's, it's non-operational. Do you guys go and repair the ones that you have not installed? Yeah, we work with a lot of wells that aren't ones that we've installed. Um, so that's a, a major portion of what we do. Uh, basically, the way our system works is, uh, for, well, the way most of our system works is we've got uh, locally trained technicians who travel around and pick up trucks. There'll be a, a technician lead and an assistant. They've got a truck full of parts, and they go around and they do a circuit. Uh, right now we're set up on 21-day circuits. Um, they're covering an area you know, about the size of Indiana, so it's a pretty big area. Uh, and they go around fix the pumps. They ask for a contribution from the communities because, again, we're looking for long-term sustainability. So we need these communities to be contributing so that 
once this switches over to being a for-profit business where like it's a maintenance repair uh, service, they need to be able to pay for it. Um, so we're trying to slowly ramp up those contributions from the communities. Uh, these guys go around and fix the pumps and collect the payments, come back in, uh, have a rest period, and then go out again. So they do about 11 these 21-day trips each year hmm. and um, try and get two visits into each water pump each year, which seems to be uh, about the right number for keeping the pumps operational. Um, by having two service visits, you know, if you do some preventative maintenance there, and then if it happens to be broken, you can fix it. Um, but that technique's given us like over a 90% uptime on the pumps, uh, which still leaves some room for improvement, which we're working on, but it's, uh, it's pretty good for sub-Saharan Africa where in general, it's assumed that about 50% of projects are failed. So wow. we're seeing about 90% uptime with, with our system right now. Wow. That's incredible. So speaking of, speaking of trips, do you, I mean, I'm, I'm sure, and we'll get to this, that there, that people can help water for good and they can help the mission by you know making donations right that that's an obvious thing boots on ground way that people can help like if i wanted to see you know a, a well and, and help build a well is that something that i can do with you or you know is that is there is there a way for you know an everyday joe to get connected and and you know get his boots on the ground mm-hmm. yeah that's a great question um it's uh there's not a, a there's not really a very easy way to do that. Um, we, we could send people over there to like participate with the drill team, but unless you're a drilling expert, um, the reality is you're going to probably slow down the drill team and not actually be of any assistance, um, which on one hand is okay if like the goal of the trip is for you to like understand what's happening and become like a more informed donor and understand uh, you know the trials the guys are facing, what the situation on the ground is. Uh, we're all for that. Uh, as far as actually like being of assistance, though, uh, unless you're like a hydraulic specialist and able to like do some work on the rig, um, or you know some type of specialty person, we'd send over there. We got us a, uh, a solar uh, expert over there right now, helping us install some large-scale um, water storage tanks that we're going to be using in some of the cities. Uh, that type of thing makes sense, but for the average Joe, uh, probably not. Now, we, like I said, we do take people over there, but the goal of the trips is not to actually accomplish any work that couldn't be done. Uh, the locals are pretty good at that. Uh, they're trained. They've got experience. They speak the local language. Um, so the people we take over there as visitors are really just to help them understand exactly what's going on with the, with the work we're doing there and understand what the trials are. Let's just say for me as an American, I'm like, I I see pictures of Central Africa. I see pictures of the water crisis that's going on. And honestly, like I can go into any uh, gas station around the, you know, around the U.S. or anywhere. And I can go into a department store, turn on water and there's clean water that I arguably could drink and it would be okay. Now, like there is this water crisis that is going on, but I, I don't see it. Like me personally here living in Colorado, I don't see this water crisis that's going on. Like, is there really a water crisis and is it bigger than just beyond the horizons of me as an American? And what does that look like? Yeah, uh, I think it's hard, even for me. I mean, I'm, I go over to Central Africa. I spend about three months a year over there and I see it firsthand. But as soon as I'm back here, uh, you know, when you turn on the faucet, you have water. So it's so easy to immediately forget uh, what, what it's actually like on the ground over there. Um, but Central African Republic, uh, a huge percentage of the population doesn't have access, uh, not only to not access to running water, but just access to clean water, even if they have to manually pump it out of a pump down the road from them. Um, 
it's, it's really difficult to get statistics for the Central African Republic, but it's well over 50% of the population still doesn't have clean water. Mm. Um, globally, um, there's varying, uh, depending on who you ask, the number of people who still lack access to clean water is between 600 uh, million, and some estimates are put it over a billion people without access to clean water. Uh, but in any case, it's a large number of people still. And uh, the challenge is especially um, uh, especially big in uh, some of the poorest countries. Um, so the fragile states, uh, which Central Africa is one of is a prime example of that it's been consistently either the poorest or the second poorest nation in the world. So very little development there. Hmm. Uh, and it's it's really challenging to to tackle that issue there. So it's still a big issue. And these are people who, um, they, they're drinking out of streams, out of ponds, out of any type of surface water they can get, or they're uh, digging uh, shallow hand-dug wells, um, which, again, is are easily contaminated since they're not down below the rock layer. So it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a big challenge, and there's a, it's still a big problem globally. I think in the U.S. it's just hard for us because even though we, we talk about water issues in the U.S., you know, the, the drought in California or uh, the issues in Flint, Michigan, uh, the reality is that that represents such a small percentage of our population that it's actually zero, uh, rounds down to zero as far as the number of people who actually lack, lack access to clean water. So it might hit the news and stuff, but uh, there's really just, we don't really deal with this issue here in the U.S. Uh, on any significant level. So how exactly can uh, individuals get involved with, uh, let's say, water for good? If I'm If I'm impelled... Uh, to, if I am pushed to help out with water for good, like how exactly can I get involved and, and where exactly does that money go exactly? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, that's a great question too. Uh, there's, uh, since, since it's pretty expensive to get to central African Republic and again, like unless you're a, a specialist in something, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to go over there on the ground. I think the way that we can use, uh, use people the best is here in the United States raising awareness for the cause and and helping us raise funds for the cause. There's uh, our our team here in the U.S. Is, does a pretty good job of um, helping people out as far as figuring out ways to do fundraisers, uh, different types of events or activities they can do that'll bring their friends in and uh, help uh, help them understand what the purpose, uh, what what Water for Good's goals are. Um, all of the money that comes to Water for Good goes to the Central African Republic. We just work in one country, and our goals are pretty straightforward. You know, we're, we're trying to provide clean, lasting water for the entire country. Mm. Um, and uh, we're making you know, good progress towards that right now. Um, it's, uh, even though it's an entire country, again, it's only uh, 5 million people, so it's kind of uh, an attainable goal. We're shooting for 2030 uh, to, to uh, provide all the clean water there. Wow. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, that's, um, uh, as far as where the, where the money goes, um, uh, all of the, uh, all the money donated to us, it gets either used for administrative staff in the U S which we've got about a dozen, or we've got about 70 staff in the central African Republic, uh, getting the teams out in the field where they're supposed to be buying fuel, uh, fuel's really expensive in the central African Republic right now. It's running about eight bucks a gallon. Wow. <laughs> there's a uh, very few very few fuel stations so we're usually having to truck our fuel several hundred miles to get it to where we need to work so it's a very expensive uh, country to work in which drives up the cost of the work but um, part of the reason we've chosen to uh, invest in this country is because there's not very many people working there uh, for most of the time we've been around we were the only well drillers there 
Uh, now there's a few other for-profits, and we're also hiring them to help us get the work done quicker. Um, but there's just not much focus on the Central African Republic. And so we've decided that uh, despite the cost and the difficulty of working there, we're, we've committed to, to spend our, our time and effort there. That's awesome. And so uh, how, how can people get a hold of you? If they, um, they want to get, let's say they want to give money or they want to arrange a uh, fundraiser here in the U.S., like how would they get a hold of you uh, and the people at Water for Good? Yeah, you can check out our website. Uh, it's just www.waterforgood.org. Um, or uh, email, you can email the, the general info at waterforgood.org email address. Or uh, you're welcome to reach out directly to me. My, ad, my email address is jay at waterforgood.org. Um, so I'd be happy to chat with anybody. Uh, and uh, yeah, follow me on Instagram if you want to see some photos of the work. Um, get a feel for, for what's going on in the Central African Republic. And um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to connect with uh, any of your uh, listeners who uh, would be interested in getting more involved. Awesome. Ashlyn, do you have anything else? No, Jay, I really we appreciate your time, man. Um, love the work that you're doing. And, and um, I think it's awesome that you're compelled um, to get involved in something that I, I think a lot of us take for granted. You know, like Mark said, we, we turn on the faucet. Um, right now I'm in my uh, townhouse communities business center and I have a clean cup of water uh, because just inside the office that there it is, you know, and I don't even have to think about it. I don't have to think about what I'm going to drink. And um, so I think it, I think this is something that we all just, it can fly right over us. And, and I think it's just really good to bring some awareness to it. And, and I love that, that that's your mission. Man. I I think it's really cool. Oh, thanks. Yeah. It's, Something that's, uh, like I said, it's easy even for me. Uh, as soon as I get back here to the United States, I immediately forget about the whole, whole <laughs> issue of trying to get water. Um, so uh, it's, it's really easy to overlook um, that issue. So awesome. thanks for uh, chatting with me. really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate your time, Jay. I'm going to have all this information in the show notes uh, that you guys can check out. So go over to those show notes. You'll see the, the email addresses and the Instagram and the web page itself. Thanks again, Jay. I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, thanks so much. You know, I think I think about, you know, I, let's just say, for example, me and you, we lived in a house and this house was really, really large. And yeah. uh, um, th th this house, it was kind of a simple house. There were seven rooms and none of the rooms were really bigger than any of the other rooms. I, I mean, maybe slightly, but the room that me and you were in, well, it was just a medium sized room. And, and we were in there with a few other people. Um, yeah. And uh, but in the corner of our rooms, uh, we had just piles and piles and piles of food and in flowing water. We had everything we needed in this room. We have guns and uh, we have everything, everything we could possibly need in this room. And then we look over to our uh, like and then in the other rooms we go over and people literally have nothing like we are all living under this same house but for some reason our room is our room and we want to shut the door and keep other people out but we don't realize we're all in this house together and why mm -hmm. we wouldn't walk to the next room and hand someone a sandwich and in a glass of water i i would do that like if, if they were in my house, I would literally take all of the food from my room and give it, make sure every single person under the same roof had something to drink and something to eat and some water to bathe. Like these are simple. These are simple necessities. Absolutely. 
And we absolutely. Are, and th- this is the concept we need to grab that we are all in this together. We are not on separate nations. We are not on separate continents. We are on the same planet, planet Earth. That's it. This is all we got. Yep. We are all we got. Yep. I think you've said it before. There is no planet B. There's no planet B. That's it. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. There's no planet B. 